The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, everyone, to the Writer's Block Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. We are back from our mini-buy or little vacation that we had here at the Writer's Block. I'm your host, Brandon Laurie. Alongside me, I do have Brandon Clements, David Hellman, and Chris Halling. As I mentioned, the Cowboys, uh, they didn't lose on Sunday, but they didn't win either. They were off, of course, relaxing. They A lot of the players went away on vacation. I saw uh, Chuma Doga was out of there as fast as possible, went down to the Caribbean, uh, enjoyed a vacation uh, with his family. So a lot of players didn't really stick around, as I don't blame them for the long season. can be very grueling, so if you can take time, take a little vacation, a little R&R, well-deserved. Uh, but I'll go around first. Halman, how did you spend your bye week? Because there really wasn't much going on. So maybe we had a little bit of a vacation. What did you do? Yeah, well, uh, it, it was Oktoberfest for me this this weekend. So uh. I went out and enjoyed some festivities. And then also my favorite part of every bye week is watching NFL games on Sunday and not being stressed about whatever's going to happen with the Cowboys that day. It's a very relaxing feeling to watch a bunch of football and not feel like you have some sort of personal stake in what's happening and as if, like, your mood for the rest of the week is going to be dictated by what you're watching. So that was a little bit enjoyable. Chris, you know, we're, we we cover the Cowboys, but, of course, the NFC East was still active on Sunday. There was the, uh, the you know, NFC East matchup between Washington and New York. Uh, the Giants surprisingly won the game with, you know, a 14-7 scoring. It really wasn't anything attractive to watch. But uh, believe it or not, I mean, I know it's still early in the year. They are one game out of uh, the seventh spot for a playoff spot, uh, but that's how that's how bad the NFC, the bottom of the barrel, is right now. Uh, could, did you take anything away from what you saw between the Commanders and Giants? Uh, any of those teams? Yeah, honestly, I've taken away that I think the Giants would be better off just just uh, rocking with Tyrod Taylor the rest of the season. Honestly, I mean. I mean, like that may seem like a hot take, but I just think he's more poised under pressure, and I think his veteran uh, experience just just allows him to make better decisions when he's under duress. And um, I just think that they're flowing a little bit better without Daniel Jones. I know that they just paid Daniel Jones, and you know when it happened, I was happy because I knew that that was a mistake. And um, now it's being proven even more so. So they have a lot of things to figure out uh, this off season. I think with with. Uh, with their head coaching, with our offensive line, with everything. But it's insane to me that they're uh, seventh right now or one game out from seventh in the NFC. It just shows how wide open the conference really is. And and uh, it just proves my point that this is the year that the Cowboys got to take that next step and really go deep. 
And speaking of the final team, Brandon, uh, in the NFC East, the Eagles took on the Dolphins in Sunday night football. They ended up winning the game. I mean, regardless of how people feel about the Eagles, I have to say the Kelly Greens do look really solid. I'm a big fan of the. I'm a, I'm a green guy, not so much the Eagles green or the Kelly green, but I thought the uniforms were good. I liked a lot of the classic uniforms that we saw. Did not like the Indy, the Indy Knights uniforms, whatever they had that the Colts were going on. Um, looked like it was paint chip blue. Um, and that was chip with a C, uh, mind you. And so what did you take away from the Eagles game? I know they ended up winning. Now they're six and one. Of course, immediately when Jalen Hurts throws an interception, everybody's justifying that it wasn't his fault. Uh, we heard that a lot last year when it came to Dak, but everybody was willing to throw Dak under the bus. But what did you take away from the Eagles matchup? Well, my first takeaway is we can't like any green. We're, we're a part of, we cover the Cowboys, so we cannot say anything great about the, the city of Philadelphia. I will say one thing that's not, uh, I guess not sports related, but, you know, entertainment and film, as uh, Hellman, Hellman will know this pretty well. There's one saving grace for that city, and I don't even care. You, 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 y'all can put me on blast for it later, Philadelphia Eagles fans. But there's only one saving grace, and that's it's the Rocky. It's the Rocky statue. The movie Rocky, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Aside from that, I could care less about Philadelphia or their cheesesteaks or anything like that, especially their green jerseys. Yeah, if you if we were doing the roundtable right now, you'd be, you'd be negative like 100 right now. So, but the game itself, you know, I, I got to watch. I got to watch a good portion of that game. Obviously, you know, it's a little bit later for for us on the you know on the East Coast here, but I did get to watch it. I mean, they 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 took it to the Dolphins really. I mean, they 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 laid a whooping on one of the better offenses in the league. I mean, I'll tell you this: hurts. Hurts to me. He's definitely, it's he's he's fallen off to to you know my opinion from where he was last year. There's just so many turnovers. Just like, you know, these mental errors that he had throughout the game. It did keep the it did keep the the fins in it for a bit. So like it was one of those things where, you know, aside from Hurts making a few you know few errors, there was actually one early in the game where. It was, I believe, it was on the first or second drive. I know it was in the first quarter where it was a, it was a miss. Like he almost missed, like handled a handoff. Like it almost became even really bad, like really bad right there. He did what Dak did. He must have watched a lot of Dak film and you know his idol Dak and uh, saw, you know, saw how Dak handled the pressure when you know Bob won a snap and and got it right off. So, and then of course you get to see the the brotherly shove as they call it in that side of town. You know, and, and you know what, like my thing is, I don't think they should ban that. I mean, it's, you know, you just got to be better. You just got to stop them. You know, and I, I, I put something on Twitter about how they should do it. It's easier said than done. So it's, it, you know, the, you know, Philadelphia Eagles, you know, it was, a, it was a big win against a really good Miami Dolphins team who I think are one of the better teams in the AFC. It just means it just kind of solidifies to me that the Eagles are, are, are a, uh, they're a contender. Obviously they're a contender, but obviously they're one of the better teams in the league. So, you know, that's, you know, we got another a game before Philadelphia, so the Rams are coming up here. So we can't get too far ahead of us ourselves here. We got a big game against the Rams coming up, but Philadelphia's on the horizon, and, and that's going to be a tough game. By the way, I, I just want to go on record. Philly cheesesteaks are overrated. I'll put it out there. The, the food itself is good. I've been to Philly. I've had some of their cheesesteaks. They're just as good as any cheesesteak I've had anywhere else in the country. So, even the one thing that they like really brag about, you can get just as good a cheesesteak anywhere else. Yeah, no, I'm not I, a huge, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm not a huge uh, cheesesteak guy either. But I gotta say, uh, B1, I saw your tweet about how to stop the um, brotherly shove or tush push. I think tush push is cooler. I don't care. Um, I think that the best way to solve that from the Cowboys' perspective is just have Micah Parsons do the whole Troy Polamalu thing, where he times yes. it and jumps straight over the center. He's athletic enough to do it. 
just tackle him the moment he snaps the ball. I think that that's really the only way to stop it at this point. I mean, how else are you going to stop it? It seems to be un just it, it, it seems to be completely overpowered at the moment. I saw that they're 40 of 44 with uh, Nick Sirianni as their head coach doing that play. And that's just insane efficiency. So, yeah, no, it's going to be tough. It really like it, it, it's insane because the Cowboys are going to have to treat it like it is first and nine every single uh, every single possession, every single down, because, I mean, once it gets to that fourth and short, it's 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 over. So. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens between now and then. Um, I also saw that Fletcher Cox was saying that, uh, you know, hopefully this this proves the doubters wrong. I don't think anybody was doubting the Eagles as being a number one team in the NFC or the number one team. I know odds-wise before the year they were favored to kind of make it back as the NFC favorites. So I don't know where that narrative came from, but that's okay. Listen, when you make it to the Super Bowl as the conference champion, there's always going to be a target on your back. So I, I get that point, but uh, I don't think anybody thought that they were going to be horrible, horrible this year. So that's strange to hear. But speaking of the seventh or eighth team uh, in the conference, the Rams are at eighth right now. We're not going to talk about that game because there are going to be a lot of great content coming out this week from all the other podcasts to kind of preview that matchup. So we're going to do something a little different. We did this last year on the writer's block. Uh, actually, Jess took off for this one. So it was me and Tony, um, or Tony and I, actually, grammatically correct there. Uh, you know, we we looked back at preseason headlines to see what we got right and what we got wrong uh, at Blog of the Boys. And this doesn't pertain to everybody here on this podcast. We could be talking about headlines that other writers wrote. And it's not to throw anybody under the bus. As we talked about in our pre-show, it's the dog days of summer, the early days of the off-season where you're just trying to throw out as many things as possible. This way, if something happens, you can kind of circle back and say, hey, I got this right back then when nobody else was talking about it. And if it's wrong, it's a few months in the past, so nobody ever remembers what you said. So, uh, Leighton Van Der Esch on that aspect uh, for somebody here on this panel. Um <laughs> So we're going to get yeah, into it. I remember it. this episode last year <laughs> very well because I wasn't even on it. <clears throat> I was just listening to, you know, I, I love, you know, supporting all the other pods with, with blogging the boys and I'm listening and all of a sudden I'm, I'm catching strays. They're talking about my Leighton Van Der Esch take. And I was just like, Oh man, that came out of nowhere. I didn't expect that. So now I'm actually here to defend my honor and also admit where I was wrong. There you go. Listen, the first step to admitting you have a problem or that you have a problem is admitting it. So that was a bad take, but that's okay. We're, we're going to be very self-reflective here. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you we, we each brought a few ideas here, a few topics, a few headlines. Um, I'm going to start with this one where you said two Cowboys veterans and one coach that are facing pressure to succeed in 2023. Take us into that article, kind of why you wrote it, and where does it stand kind of right now as we sit six weeks into the Cowboys season? Yeah, so it was uh, May 27th, you know, a long uh, off-season road ahead. So I was, uh, you know, you know, I was uh, getting ahead in the game, and I wanted to talk about who would be facing a lot of pressure. Uh, the two players were wide receiver Michael Gallup because of his kind of down year that he had the previous year, you know, coming back from his injury. And also they do have a potential out in his contract as well this upcoming off-season. And so I think that there may have to be a difficult decision made potentially if he can't get things situated throughout the rest of the season. I put, for obvious reasons, quarterback Dak Prescott, because, you know, he does have to get paid again. And, uh, you know, this is a pretty impatient fan base. <laughs> and it's deservingly so, but also to, to Dak's credit, he's not responsible for us not making it past the divisional round in the past 27 years. 
So, so, so it's not all him, but uh, he also faces some pressure and head coach Mike McCarthy as well, for obvious reasons, because I mean, he kind of took over the mantle as offensive coordinator and uh, kind of got Kellen Moore kicked out of here. And uh, yeah. And, and I also think, you know, Mike McCarthy has had some great seasons so far with the Cowboys, but we're going to have to, see him kind of go further than just than just that divisional round so I think that those three guys were really facing the most pressure and honestly I'm sad to say I don't think any of them have have really lived up to that expectation this year in my opinion like I was expecting a big bounce back here from Michael Gallup and he had a really rough go in the last game I mean like we talked about it all week you know Brandon talked about it on the um round table as well you know just talking about how how he was responsible for what seven of the um, incompletions that uh, that uh, Dak had in that game. So I think Michael Gallup has kind of been a letdown this year, especially with adding Brandon Cooks. I thought that even just adding Brandon Cooks, obviously he's a great playmaker himself, but I thought that having him there would kind of free up some more things for Michael Gallup and give him some more opportunities to shine. And he hasn't really capitalized on it yet. Mike McCarthy, this offense looks really bad, in my opinion. It just looks very, I don't know, it just looks very, like, sluggish, very very non-explosive. Like, where are all the explosive plays? It just seems like everything's being very, very cautious and limited right now. And I often criticize Kellen Moore because I thought um, he often overthought it and he often tried to do more than was necessary. Like, he always tried to make big passing plays and, you know, not really situational football, more just let's pad those stats, let's get those points, let's, you know, like, let's keep going. But now it's like Mike McCarthy has gone the complete opposite route of that. And I just want somebody who's, like, in the middle, you know, someone who can, you know, like, produce a good high-powered offense but also understand, you know, when it's a good time to just hand the ball and just, you know, just run up the middle and don't do it on first and second and ten. Do it on third and one or do it on a short – you know, yardage situation. And last but not least, I know that this will probably lead to the most argument on this podcast, but Dak Prescott, I'm sorry. He hasn't lived up to my expectations so far either. And I think that that could be a Mike McCarthy thing as well. It's not all on Dak Prescott. I think that there's a lot of other components, but if we're just looking at it from an objective uh, stance, like I am, I don't know. I mean, like I know that Brandon, um, a B1 was telling me that he was going to have 5,000 passing yards and that he was going to absolutely light the league on fire. So I bet, you know, all the money I could on him winning MVP. So now I may have to, you know, go down to Syracuse and uh, stay with Brandon, you know, throughout this upcoming summer because I'm not going to have a place to stay. So, so you know, I mean, like all jokes aside, Dak Prescott, he's definitely not been the biggest issue with this Cowboys team. By far, I'm not saying that. There are a lot of other issues, but I was expecting a little bit more. He has fixed the uh, turnover situation, in my opinion, so far, which I'll give him credit for. But the offense just seems very lackluster, and I understand that there's a lot that's come with strategy and with play calling and all that and schemes, but it also falls on the quarterback as well, and I'm hoping that he can get that figured out. I will say, though, that he was the best player on the field for that Chargers game, in my opinion, and he absolutely carried that team, and I was so impressed with him. I wasn't on that podcast with you guys right after the game. I would have been his number one supporter had I been on that podcast. I promise you I was so impressed by him. I think it was his best game of the season, and – Everything good that happened for the Cowboys was because of Dak Prescott and in spite of Mike McCarthy trying to sabotage this offense throughout the game. So I have all the respect for the way that Dak Prescott played that game. But anyway, what I will say is that overall, that's, in my opinion, this article still remains true and 
And I think that pressure is just building and building and building because of their lack of success so far. So, Halman, I'll phrase the question, and I love the reflectiveness that you went through, Chris, uh, that, that that moment for you. I thought that was beautiful. Uh, well done. Um, Halman, for you, if you had to rank all three of them, like as it stands right now, and Chris didn't rank them in the article. Unless you did, you can you could tell me if I'm I wrong. Okay, so if you had to rank them, Halman, of most pressure to least pressure, where would you stand on all three? Uh, I mean, I think Michael Gallup definitely has the most pressure um, just because, uh, like Chris said, with, with his contract out that, that's coming up, um, I had honestly forgotten about that being in his contract, but that's a really good thing to bring up. Um, and, you know, especially with, you know, Brandon Cups is under contract for one more year. Jalen Tolbert they feel really good about. They've been getting Kamonte Turpin more involved on the offense. Uh, everybody knows Chris loves his uh, his guy Jalen Brooks, and he's he's going through his rookie year right now and getting more familiar with the, with the system. So you know they're they're definitely in a spot where if they 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 could definitely make that decision to just move on from Michael Gallup. Um, I don't know that I'm necessarily like I'm not there yet for sure. He's had a really rough last two weeks uh, with the Cowboys, but also people have like very quickly forgotten that two weeks before that, weeks three and four, he was like just going off. He was. In those two games, he was like their best receiver. All due respect to C.D. Lamb, but his, the stats he was putting up were like everybody was saying, "Michael Gallup's back!" Like this is this is pre-injury Michael Gallup, and then and then he has two bad games, and suddenly everyone's like, "Oh, we should bench him. We like we, we need to get rid of him next year." So, I just need to see more before we really make a decision. But I do agree that the pressure is there. Of those three, he definitely has the most pressure, um, and some of that is because I don't think that there's necessarily a ton of pressure on Mike McCarthy. I think Jerry Jones really believes in him. Um, I, I think that I, I really don't think that there's a way that he gets to the postseason, and regardless of what happens in the postseason, that he gets fired. Like I, I think they've invested so much in his approach, his infrastructure, specifically this offseason with all the analytics hires that they brought in. That's definitely an initiative that McCarthy was like driving for and something that they were pushing for. And I just don't think that you let a head coach kind of not necessarily saying that he specifically made those hires because we don't know that, but you don't let him like kind of have this huge makeover of their analytics department. And then a year later, you just fire him after he, you know, played a part in all those, these big infrastructure changes. So I, I think that they're committed to him. And then uh, related to Dak Prescott, like everything that we have heard every step of the way is that Jerry Jones fully believes in him. They will, they want to get a contract extension for him. Um, I understand there's always going to be pressure on the quarterback, especially when he's the quarterback of America's team. Um, you know, and there's debate to be had about whether he's lived up to that pressure. I definitely feel a little bit better about him than Chris does. I think we've, we've established that in the past, but uh, as far as pressure, like, you know, on a week to week, on a week to week basis, like if you win, people are always going to blame the head coach. They're always going to blame the quarterback. And, you know, there's always going to be that pressure there, but in terms of like within the organization, I don't think that, either of these guys are in danger of losing their job after this year, unless things just go absolutely horrifically wrong from here on out. Um, real quick, real quick. Yeah. Hold up. Um, I know that you brought up uh, Jalen Brooks. Shout out to my guy for being in that <laughs> final or that uh, final uh, game game winning drive, I guess, or the drive that they took the lead. He was down there and he made a pretty nice block. I have to say, I think yeah. it was what it was on what it was when Brandon cooks had a sweep, right? Yeah. It was the jet sweep end around and Jalen exactly. Brooks took and on two Troy people. Aikman, yeah. Troy Aikman, the disrespect is like, I don't know who that receiver down there is. You better put some respect on Jalen Brooks name. He's coming next year. He is going to be a starter on this team. Mark my words. Jalen wow. Brooks is coming for the crowd. A thousand yards. Yes. Yeah, yes. get get it out now this way, you know, when 
it comes back around, if you get it right, great. But if not, people won't remember this at all. Exactly. Um, B B one for you. We're talking about Dak, and we'll stick with this just a little bit before, and then I'll turn it to you to to give us your first headline. Um, It came out this week. Diana Rossini of the Athletic. um, She spoke out uh, about. Jerry Jones, or I'm sorry, Stephen Jones mentioning that they might want to get something done with Dak Prescott as early as this offseason. They kind of have that already in mind that they want to do that. From what you've seen from Dak so far, six games in, regardless of statistics, it might be more of a overall feel of what you've seen from him, not so much of the numbers, because we know the West Coast offense is more of a conservative style. You were looking for 5,000 yards. You're not really getting that, and I think that's more of a product of the offense, not so much Dak himself as the quarterback. Have you seen enough to warrant an extension this offseason? Yeah, actually, if, if I were the Cowboys, I'd get it done yesterday. I think with the way the quarterback quarterback market is right now, you, you, you need to get these deals done before that number is just going to get higher and higher and higher because you've seen you're seeing the Joe Burrow contracts. Obviously, you've seen the Mahomes contract. I mean, you're seeing all these big time quarterbacks getting some big payments. Jalen Hurts, who we just talked about a few minutes ago, like there's a lot of big money coming in. So for me, like. I want to get that deal done as soon as possible because I feel like every day the Cowboys don't do it, the price that Dak is going to you know want is going to get higher and higher because the obvious quarterback market is getting larger and larger. So for me, that's that's kind of where I'm, I am. I am with Dak now. I, yes, I you know to all y'all's point, like I wanted that five thousand yards this year. You know that was my big thing. It's not happening. That's fine. But my one my one of my takes, I think out of out of that whole thing with Dak Prescott. I think has a good shot at standing true and it's it's the interceptions. Like I said single digit interceptions, you know, coming into the, you know, into the season. So I still think yeah, he's got what four right now. So and and we're just about close to the uh, the you know, the halfway point here. So he's on pace for single digits. So for me, Dak Prescott has earned every penny. And, and B2, to your point, sure, the numbers aren't Mahomes-esque, you know, or like, you know, a Tom Brady back in that record-breaking season with Randy Moss, you know, 15 years ago. But, you know, to me, it's the, you know, he he's playing consistent ball. And the number that I love is the completion percentage. I love that. It's 69.5%. That is fantastic. That so out of so out of every ten throws, he's gonna make seven of those. Just about like that's that's pretty darn good. And for me, like Dak Prescott is the he is the quarterback of the future. I tongue in cheek joke about Trey Lance because I'm a big Trey Lance guy. But Trey Lance, realistically, at this point, he's still young. He's only 23. He's been I feel like he's been in the league forever, and he's only 23 years old. So that's that's a you know that's somebody that I think the the Cowboys can look to in the future. But I think Dak Prescott still has a, a few years of good football ahead of him. So I think the Cowboys need to lock him up before he before the the, the money just gets you know too large. I don't think Dak leaves you know after after this next contract, but I do think that you know time is ticking it is like a ticking time bomb where the money needs to get uh, doled out as soon as possible yeah and you make a good point too like that's that's just how that's how the quarterback market works these days is if you think you have a quarterback that like you can win with it's not necessarily a case of like is he is he the best quarterback but rather is he capable of being your franchise quarterback if you if the answer is yes you're going to do whatever it takes to keep him on your team and you are not going to let him play for another team. And, you know, we, we see this a lot. Like, you know, it was very risky when the Colts decided to move on from Peyton Manning. A big portion of the reason they decided to do that was because they knew they were going to get Andrew Luck and it kind of sort of worked out. Obviously there were issues that led to his early retirement. The Patriots decided that they were, you know, ready to move on from Tom Brady. That has not gone well for them so far. 
Like, if you have a guy that you believe in, even if he's starting to decline in talent, like, it, it's just, it's very rarely a good idea to move on from him. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, we always have these, you know, debates about Dak Prescott and, like, is he worth the money? You know, should he, you know, be the answer long-term? But the reality is, like, you know, it, it's not so much to say whether or not he should be there, but the more important question is, if he's not, then who else is there? Yeah. Like, who, who are you going to get to replace him? And that with the quarterback, the position, the way that it is, how important it is, how few truly starting caliber quarterbacks there are out there, um, it, it's just – it's very hard to find a replacement. So if you have a guy you even slightly believe in, you have to do whatever it takes to keep them there as long as they're going to play. Well, and that's what I was just going to say is that's why I, I was never really against entirely the Daniel Jones deal. I know it's comparable that he got the DAC money and everybody's saying, well, he doesn't deserve that. But in a few years, it's going to look like it's one of the cheaper deals because of where people are going to have to be paying the quarterbacks. We know Joe Burrow and all the guys that were paid this offseason – you know, they're resetting the market, and then you have Trevor Lawrence that's going to be coming up, resetting the number for that. Patrick Mahomes just kind of redid his contract. So a lot of guys are going to be paid in the next few years, um, depending on what happens, even with someone like a Justin Fields and all that. So, again, there's a lot of guys that are out there. So this number that the Cowboys could offer Dak next year, this year, um, it could relatively be inexpensive given Dak's experience, caliber, the stability that he's brought to the Cowboys. Um, and, again, it's just the nature of the market. But for the sake of time, it, be one. What's the, your first headline uh, that you want to bring up? And and it, it might be about somebody on this podcast, too. <laughs> Definitely is somebody on this podcast. Uh, somebody that had a particular Leighton Vander Esch take in oh, the uh, no. last year. I'm catching so, another stray. Uh, it, it, it's not too – I guess it's not too bad. Like, I, you know, I, I wanted to play – I wanted to have some fun with this. So, I, you know, I was looking through you guys' articles, and I was like – what am I going to pick on Hallman about? Because Hallman always brings the good stuff. Every every article he puts out is always good. So I did some digging here, and it's, this is this is going back to like August. I don't have the exact date because I just took kind of a snippet of the article. Um, so the the headline was, and it was it, the headline of the article was, "Check out us our seven bold predictions on the Cowboys offense." And in that uh, particular article, one of the bold takes that I had to take, I I was on the opposite side of the fence. All off season because that that's just you know that I I'm a Jake Ferguson guy, and uh, Howman put out this uh, this article uh, where he said Jake Ferguson leads tight ends and catches, but Luke Schoonmaker leads the t- uh, tight ends and yards. Mm-hmm. Ouch! <laughs> Jake Ferguson and I said this all off season and coming into the season. Jake Ferguson is the I don't care what round Luke Schoonmaker was drafted. This is Jake Ferguson's tight end room, and he. I said this all offseason. I said he's he's going to not only lead the team in receptions on the tight end side, yards and touchdowns. I, and no offense to Luke Schoolmaker, he's still to me he's still a little bit raw. He's still trying to learn a few things. But when I saw you know I saw that I was like, oh, this is the perfect one to go at. And and let's be honest. Nobody's complaining because, you know, Jake, you, you know, you did say, you know, uh, lead tight ends and catches. So you are, you are correct in that part of it. But just putting Luke Schoolmaker on yardage, I kind of was like, oh, I can't, I can't let that slide. So I got to go with that. And I, I got to get your rebuttal on this because I'm really curious. Well, I want to see what you got to say. Before, when, when Howman, he'll need to collect himself to really think about something <laughs> to say. Um, Hauling, uh, Chris, I'll ask you first. I don't know why I went with your last name there. We never do that. Man, um, I appreciate it. But, you know, in in, in Howman's defense, uh, Schoomaker is batting a 1,000. Every catch he, he gets, it's for a touchdown. But it's just for one catch, yeah. one yard and a touchdown. So – 
you were somebody that on the draft night and everything that we were doing, because I believe you were live for the second round um, was, when, yeah. when we did it. I was with you. What, what was your reaction for the Schoonmaker pick then? And has it sort of been a disappointment, something that you kind of expected? Well, I was kind of let down because it's not really who I wanted. Honestly, it's not really who I wanted even if we did take tight end. I was more on the Darnell Washington hype train in terms of his potential because I really like those big athletic tight ends. And, I mean, worst case, he's just a great run blocker. I mean, like, if he can't really make an impact in the receiving game, he's at least a good run blocker, and we can always use that, and that makes him a little bit different than Jake Ferguson. Um, I wasn't really a huge fan of the Schoonmaker pick. Um, still not. I, honestly, I'm not a fan of any of the draft picks at this point, other than DeMarvey and Overshone. Overshone showed me a lot in preseason. I was excited about that. Mozzie Smith, I mean, I know that defensive tackles take a little bit to, you know, get situated, and it's one of those positions where it's really difficult, unless you're just a freak like Jalen Carter, to come in immediately and just be dominant. So I'm going to give him some, some benefit of the doubt. It just stinks because we're in a situation where, where we're really trying to compete right now, and we need – I feel like this is one of the more underwhelming draft classes that we've had as a team in terms of year one production. Like, I feel like we haven't gotten production from really anyone like that. And, and, you know, and um, some of that's um, due to injuries and um, some is due to some other, you know, um, situational things, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the schoolmaker pick. And honestly, um, I'm still not, I mean, like hopefully I can be wrong and he kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, um, it gets infiltrated into this offense. But honestly, I mean, at the time, I wanted to trade that pick for an experienced tight end. And uh, I know you guys don't want to keep hearing me uh, pound this table, but, you know, maybe we can send uh, Schoonmaker and, uh, you know, some picks down there to Atlanta and maybe, you know, you know, bring in a good uh, big target for Dak Prescott, fix these red zone issues, even though Kyle Pitts hasn't really scored a lot. But I think that that's a system issue. But besides the point, um, I know that I'm beating a dead horse with that. And my new dead horse that I'm going to beat at the trade deadline is Derrick Henry. But that's a whole oh nother boy. spiel. I have to <laughs> no, I'll come out with some articles about that. I'll have to, I'll have to bother RJ with that. You know, um, I love it, Chris. Um, argue, um, you know, you know, I'll have to do all that. But yeah, um, so um, back to the original question. Sorry, I rambled a little bit. Uh, I not too happy with his production, but. I'm not too happy with the entire draft class's production. So overall, I, I, I actually gave that draft class a C-plus grade, and I thought I was kind of being generous when I did that. And now I'd give it like a D. It's not been good. So hopefully they can start making an impact pretty soon because I think we're going to need it, you know, throughout the stretch of the season. Well, first of all, I'm surprised that of all the Titans players you'd want to trade for, that DeAndre Hopkins wasn't number one on there because you were riding that <laughs> the Hopkins to Dallas train. But yeah, uh, I don't know. He's done a few things <laughs> since his uh, Tennessee uh, tenure yeah. that has kind of, you know, turned me away from it. I still think he would, you know, help in the red zone potentially. But no, I think a big power <laughs> back like Derrick Henry could be very helpful for this offense. But it's not realistic, I don't believe. But yeah. I have seen a lot of analysts kind of parrot, though, saying it makes a lot of sense. But that's a Jerry Jones call, and uh, it's out of my pay grade. So. Well, on the tight end subject, it's funny you mentioned Darnell Washington. I just pulled up the stats to compare. He has as many catches as Luke Scoodmaker so far this year. Mm-hmm. And granted, that one catch went for nine yards more, but it did not score. Um, yeah. I also looked up, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to really, like, quantify run blocking, but I looked up their run blocking grades on Pro Football Focus. 
Darnell Washington, 53.0 run blocking grade. Luke Speedmaker, 53.0 run blocking grade. So as far as, as far as the run blocking, they've been really as far as like all their, their numbers, they're, they're almost exactly the same player. So maybe that'll, maybe that'll get you a little bit on, on the Speedmaker train a little bit since he's performing like Darnell Washington. Um, to, the, to the point that uh, B1 decided to throw me under the bus for, thank you very much. Um, I, first I'll say, the, the headline was bold predictions, not necessarily, you know, this will definitely happen, but you know, this, this is what could happen. And this was also before uh, Luke Speedmaker got hurt. That obviously threw off his, his trajectory and his projections uh, development within this offense. Um, but also uh, for me, I, I really, at the time I went back to the last time the Cowboys didn't really have a clear cut starter at tight end, which was that 2018 season where, you know, they, they had a rookie Dalton Schultz, but it was mostly uh, Jeff Swain, it was Blake Jarwin, and they kind of worked between the two of them. And I'm, I'm actually reading the article now and seeing my explanation. I'm like, oh, that's, a pre- that's pretty smart, whoever wrote that. Um, <laughs> Jarwin finished with one more catch than Swain, also had 55 more yards, but also Jeff Swain missed uh, seven games with an injury. So I was just looking at that and saying, you know, if they really are going to kind of you know, work with both Ferguson and Schoonmaker, that's kind of a model of how it might actually be split up in terms of uh, how much they're used in the past game. That could make sense that one of them has more catches, but the other has more yards. Um, granted, you know, Ferguson came in and he just balled out. Schoonmaker, like I said, missed some time. Um, I also, I'm, I'm going to say right here, uh, and I have an article coming out uh, that, that says the same thing. Schoonmaker needs to get more involved. Like they need to specifically make it a point to get him more involved um, cause like I said before, he, you know, he's, he's been doing good work as a run blocker, um, you know, relative to a tight end and the expectations you have for that. And they really haven't thrown it to him much. And I also think they need to throw to Jake Ferguson in general more often too. But we, you know, with Schoonmaker, uh, he, you know, in college, he's, he's a very athletic guy. He has very good run after catch ability. And especially in the West coast where you're getting a lot of these quick throws, that's where the tight end really comes in handy. You just give dump off passes to Ferguson. He's shown that he has some wheels. Schoonmaker's really athletic and he has some wheels too. Like get those guys more involved, especially on some of those play action boots that, that they've been doing a little bit more of as the season progresses. So I, I want to see more of him. I know we're, we're disappointed with what we've seen thus far, but in terms of like actually catching the ball, he hardly has any targets. Some of those have, have been just clear misfires. He's had a couple of drops, but um, I just I want to see him get more involved, uh, mostly because of football reasons, not just so that I end up being right on this prediction. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. No, I, and I agree. I, I do think that your logic was sound in the sense of where you're trying to go with revisionist history, looking at the Swaim, Schultz, and uh, the Jarwin year. Um, I do believe that him missing time when he did with the foot injury, I think sent him back a ton, especially learning the offense, especially as a rookie. We saw last year that when Jalen Tolbert missed time, that really set him back in his development. So you could even look to that and say, well, our expectations were X because of Jalen Tolbert and his production at South Alabama, and then he didn't exceed because maybe he missed time. I think that's the same thing with Schoonmaker too. It's no fault of his own, it's just the nature of the situation. But I do agree that – I think we can all agree on this, that this offense really has taken a step back since week one, week two, where we saw a little bit more creativity. Things are being thrown out there. Like Kevontae Turpin has not been in the backfield, I think, since week three. Um, And that could be because of the injury that he had that he was dealing with. Um, With the ankle injury, maybe they're trying to limit his usage. But still, I mean, Deuce Vaughn is now being inactive. So, like, the creativity is not really there anymore. So maybe somebody like Schoonmaker isn't getting involved because just the offense is being a little bit more conservative. Maybe during the bye week they had a chance to try and expand on things um, a little bit more. But I I think that I saw your point. I I think Schoonmaker leading the team in tight ends for receiving. Um, I saw the same stuff you did with college with how he performed as a receiver. I thought that that he would have been better in that category compared to Jake Ferguson. To me, Ferguson has been a surprise. I like what I've seen. Um, I always had confidence in him, but I I did not think that that yak ability would carry over into this year. And he's proven to, to do that. So credit to Ferguson and his development too. Hey guys, by the way, I, you know, I, I just want to, you know, I know you said, you know, Ferguson was a surprise and all that. I wasn't surprised. I was banging the drum on oh, the yeah. table all off season for Jake Ferguson. I'm just going to put that out there. So I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. And I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to raise it up another level. I want to see more Hunter Lepke before I see uh, Luke Schoonmaker. I'm just saying, I like, I like Hunter Lepke's game more, more than Schoonmaker's. I think he can, he can only run, he can not only run, but he can, he can block, he can catch, he can, at, at North Dakota State, he, he did all those things. Like he, he would, and he's all, he's, he's a hell of a blocker too. His block grades in college are fantastic. I know the competition was what it was, but he, he did a heck of a job. He can, he can run, he can block, he can catch. To me, he's you know he's a fullback, but he also could be like an H back slash tight end. So I like to see him get more involved. I want to see more majestic beast. That's what I want. And speaking of somebody who has a little to no involvement, I'll go with one of my headlines, and then we'll go to Hamlin, and then we'll recycle. Everybody will do sort of like a rapid fire. But um, shout out to RJ, our fearless leader. I wanted to find something that RJ said, and this really wasn't like a claim or a prediction, but the headline was Cowboys training camp. Rookie cornerback Eric Scott Jr. continues to receive positive reviews. Um, And this was coming in at the beginning of training camp towards the middle. um, You know, he was talking about that there was an interview with Deron Bland kind of vouching for somebody who can kind of take that leap his rookie season, similar to how he did last year. And he mentioned Eric Scott as a name. Um, Of course, Eric Scott was the guy who uh, intercepted Dak for the first time uh, in training camp. Of course, as Howman predicted boldly uh, with his crystal ball, can never do that ever again. We don't want him to do that. Um, The dark arts and and Howman don't really, you know, we don't like when that combination comes together. Uh, But unfortunately, Eric Scott really hasn't done anything because he hasn't been active uh, each and every week. He's been on the inactive list. I don't think that that's anything against him, but you know, Chris, we were really excited about what we saw from him. The Cowboys traded up in the draft to get him. Um, and you would think that maybe he would have gotten on the field with the injuries with J- uh, Jordan Lewis still trying to work his way through some things. Of course, that's when Trayvon Diggs was was on the field. Now when they are off the field and, and Lewis, Lewis is back on. 
you know, they elevated someone like an Izzy McQuamu, who, uh, yes, has the experience and coming off the practice squad, but um, Eric Scott hasn't even done anything. So what is your take on what we were thinking in the preseason, you know, in training camp and what you've not seen from him so far? Well, that uh, was another round that me and you were uh, live for the recap. And uh, maybe there was some excitement, but I remember that me and you were a little confused when it happened because uh, it didn't seem like the name that, that uh, would uh, warrant a trade up. But obviously the Cowboys uh, felt good about him. Um, he looked pretty good in camp. Uh, but yeah, he just, I don't know, he hasn't found his uh, footing yet, I guess. And I mean, to his, to his, uh, defense i mean if you look at the guys who are ahead of him i mean like there's no way he's going to get more reps than stefan gilmore he's not going to get more reps than deron bland he wasn't going to get more reps than trayvon diggs and honestly i think right now uh jordan lewis um is definitely uh just like more of a veteran you know and like he's been in this uh um system he's been on this team for longer so so i mean i think it makes sense um i'm not too too uh too hung up on the Eric Scott thing. Hopefully he develops. If not, you know, I mean, like we just spent a, thir- a, a day three pick on him. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's to me, it's it's so early. Like we just got him this year in the draft. Like we're we're just what we were four and two. We're six we're six regular season games into the season. We're six you know he's six games in his professional career. Albeit he's you know he's been inactive a lot. So like it's one of those things where. To me, it's like he's good enough to be on the 53, but he's not. He just hasn't cracked the the game day roster just yet. And here's the thing. He's a six-round pick, so that's a pretty good thing that he's he's sitting there on the cusp. You know, you know I don't wish injuries upon anybody, obviously, but he's an injury or two away from getting some real playing time and some real games here. So, like, in, in – and for the Cowboys to give up, I believe they gave up a fifth rounder in 2024 uh, from the, I think they, I think, I think it was, uh, they gave it to the Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I just remember watching it that, you know, it was my daughter's birthday party that day. So we were, we were watching it and, and I saw it and I'm like, Eric Scott, like Eric Scott Jr. I, I had to think about it for a second because I have all these prospects in my head because I, I follow all the great content from all you guys and in our, uh, and our uh, colleague, Mike Poland, he does a heck of a job at all the prospects. So, I, you know, I knew a little bit about him, but I wasn't uh, that familiar with him. So when the Cowboys moved up, I was like, okay, they obviously like this guy. They're obviously afraid somebody else is going to get him. So they, they went and got him. And, and to Chris's point, it's a day three uh, pick. So it, to me, you know, it is what it is. If, if you know, if you're going to burn a pick, a day three pick's not a bad pick to burn. Now, now Eric Scott Jr. is an older prospect. He is now 25 years old. So it's, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty grown at this point. I was talking about Trey Lance earlier. Trey Lance has been in the league for a few years and he's two years older than him. So that's, that's just another thing. So like he, you know, Eric Scott's been through it. Like he, you know, I I was looking at his biography, like he, you know, he was at, he was at a community college for a bit. He went to Southern Miss and he, you know, he, you know, he had a lot of trials and tribulations. So the guy's a dog and I'm hoping we'll see him at some point, obviously barring any injury, maybe he, he does something, you know, in the next couple of weeks where he earns some playing time because I'm rooting for him. He's a, you know, he's got good size. He's, he's just under six foot one. Uh, he's about 200 pounds. So he's, he, there's, there's the attributes there. Common with the crystal ball with the interception, you know, in the off season and training camp. So there's a lot of love for, for him, you know, that we, you know, that we saw now it's time to get him on the field and, and we'll, we'll see how that pans out. 
Hey, listen, if he turns out to be Terrence Newman, who was also a 25-year-old rookie, I was just looking at I was like, I knew he was old. I didn't know how old. Another 25-year-old yeah. rookie. So if he turns out to have the career of Terrence Newman, uh, all power to him. But you know, first first-round pick, sixth-round pick, very, very different talent-wise. But again, it's the, the traits are there. We'll see what happens. Uh, Howman, what's your first headline that you want to get to? And it might be another one like Chris where it's a little bit more reflective. Um, well, it is uh, – <clears throat> it's – it's one that I wrote about also in that same article that, that B1 brought up um, about, you know, bold, bold predictions for the offense. This is one that I think so far is aging pretty well, definitely better than my tight end one. Um, and I got a little nerdy with it. It was uh, the, the headline was Mike McCarthy approaches a 60% early down pass rate. And that's something that like I've, I've talked about a few times is, is the early down pass rate. And there's so much value that we know can be had from, throwing more on early downs, meaning first and second down. And I mean, it, it just, it just gives your quarterback like more favorable matchups because defenses are generally, they're playing the run play action has a lot more value on first and second down. Um, and to be throwing against a defense that is not really playing for the pass, that just gives them such an advantage. And that was something that was not happening last year. They had uh, one of the lowest, I think they were 26 in early down pass rate, meaning they were one of the most run heavy on first and second down and they got it got Dak Prescott into a lot of third and longs, a lot of gotta have it throws, and that's where a lot of his interceptions came from. Is where he's like, you know, he, he's kind of in a situation of, well, <clears throat> I'll throw it to somewhere that's kind of risky, but like I kind of have to because of the situation I'm put in. And uh, so far, I mean, with with Mike McCarthy, I thought that it was going to be a lot better because from 2010 to 2018, when he was with the Packers and calling plays, they led the league in early down pass rate over that span. And at that point, they were throwing it on early downs at 58.2%, which last year would have been seventh in the league. So not, you know, things have evolved over the years. But I thought that, you know, if he comes in and he stays true to form, they'll probably be somewhere close to that 60% range. Um, and then right now, they're, they're kind of doing pretty good. Um, they're at 56.7%. Uh, after week six, that was 11th in, in the NFL. So um, pretty close to where they were when when uh, McCarthy was in Green Bay. Not really as close as I'd like for that 60% number, um, but definitely approaching it. And, and who knows what we'll see as the year progresses and as hopefully this offense gets a little more comfortable within this scheme and within uh, Mike McCarthy calling the plays. Uh, B1, to that point, I mean, we, you know, we've talked about the red zone issues at nauseum, that they're really struggling. I mean, they have gotten better. We mentioned that against the Chargers, they had 50% success rate, and the Chargers were giving up 50% success rate, so that's pretty awesome. You know, step in the right direction. Um, you know, my parents wouldn't agree that a 50% grade is good, but for the Cowboys, oh. that's awesome. We'll, it's like an A, so we'll, we'll give them that. Yeah. Um, but outside of the red zone, the Cowboys have been pretty solid and very efficient with long drives. Like I said, the sort of death by a thousand cuts against opposing defenses. And, you know, the running hasn't necessarily really clicked on all cylinders, but, you know, they've been able to move up and down the field. It's just when it counts, it hasn't really clicked. But to Howman's point, the offensive numbers have looked pretty solid I mean there it could be worse it could be better but if you're sitting right in the middle with the type of defense that they have it at least can kind of give them a little bit more success when it counts and that's why I think you're seeing them at four and two um, instead of a losing record oh for sure and and my thing is too like I, I love the west coast principles because you know and, and to Hellman's point which is a great point by the way because that 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 60 percent 
first down pass rate. Uh, that's that, I, I like that. Like I, I really like the early down passing at this point. Not like taking deep shots, but in this West Coast principles, I look at a four or five yard pass as just a glorified run. That's how I look at it. So for me, like when I when I see those type of plays being called, and that's why I want to see more Hunter Lepke because I want to see some 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 of those uh, those out of the backfield uh, passes again. Like I, that's what I like. That's 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 the way I've always loved watching the West Coast games and then. Growing up, like I did watch, you know, a lot of the uh, the the Walsh. I wasn't alive for it, but I watched a lot of the old films where uh, Bill Walsh's system, the West Coast principles, like just just the just the way Joe Montana ran that offense, like it was really cool, and uh, you know, it was very efficient. Obviously, they wanted they were the team of the decade, obviously back then. So um, it obviously worked. So yeah, and and I believe I believe Kellen Moore in the last few years, I want to say he was at the bottom third of the league in in in, in that category. So it is one of those things. And in the running game is it has been stagnant. Like I, you know, I'm sitting here looking at the numbers. It's it's not pretty. I mean, I give them credit. You know, right now the Cowboys' rush play percentage is sixth in the league, so they're at they're at almost 47. percent But again, the yards per rush is 3.9. That's 22nd in the league. So for me, it's you know, it's one of those deals where I kind of because the running game hasn't been efficient. I do like the the early passing. I you know it's it's I've come a long way on that because for the longest time I've always been a you know let's you know let's ground and pound let's just you know ground and pound into death and then you know hit it over the top of the play action and you know go deep. I do like it if you can apply it right and even if it's you know by a thousand a thousand cuts so to speak where it's you know four or five yards at a time and if it's quick short passes quick reads it, it, it doesn't matter you know you're getting but the problem is. Once you're inside the red zone, that's what I have a problem with. So for me, and, and to Chris's point, I think it's an unrealistic expectation that the Cowboys would go get a Derrick Henry. But Derrick Henry would be a kind of guy that would be the perfect fit for the red zone woes at this point because, you know, nothing against Tony Pollard. I just think Tony Pollard is one of those dudes where he, I think he's a good 20 to 20 kind of guy. Like, but, uh, you know, for the, you know, for that part of the field. But that final 20 yards, I just, you know, unless he's catching passes out of the backfield or, he, or he's, you know, he's out, you know, he's out, you know, we're, you know, some, you know, out in a route, you know, doing his thing there, you know, that, that to me, that that's where he's effective. So, and the Cowboys don't really have a true like power back right now. Like I, I'm in pound on the table for Rico. I want to see more Rico Dottle, but Rico's not, he, he's the biggest running back on our roster, a true running back. Cause obviously Hunter Lepke is about 230, 240 pounds. But I want to see a little more Rico in there. I do want to see some more Hunter Lepke. And then, you know, you know, to help with the red zone woes, we saw a taste of that this, this past uh, this past game with the Chargers where Dak had, a, I think it was an 18-yard touchdown run. So I'd like to see more of those principles that he, he ran at Mississippi State uh, under Coach Dan Mullen where you got some read option principles there. I think – Using Dak's mobility and his athleticism, I think, would also be it would keep the defense off, you know, off the, uh, you know, off the rails a little bit, off balance. So I think, you know, that would be a good way to do it. And you know, earlier on, I know we were talking about Turpin. Turpin hasn't done, any, you know, done anything in the backfield or any, you know, coming out of the backfield really at all this season. I'd like to see some more Turp on some jet sweeps, maybe some more Brandon Cook on jet sweeps. You know, that's where I would go. So. But that's that's you know besides the red zone woes, I do think you know I do think uh, you know from the twenty to the twenty, the Cowboys' offense is doing very well. 
But if they're going to go anywhere and they're going to win it all, they have to they have to you know fix these red zone woes because right now it's a mess. And yeah, sure, fifty percent on a on a, on a against a Chargers team, sure. I'd like to see that percentage higher. I think last year with Kyle Moore, I think they were the number one number one team in the league in the red zone. So that we're, that's a big fall from grace from last year. I know some people don't like Kyle Moore as, as much as some others, but you know, to me, like we have to get the red zone fixed, even if it's serviceable in the red zone. We'll win a lot more games and we can win some playoff games. But if they're going to keep struggling in the red zone, then this team's ceiling is divisional round. Simple as that. Chris, we'll do a little rapid fire, like I'm saying. Um, this way, we'll get to everybody's second headline because there are some intriguing ones here. What is your second one? Um, because I do think this one, it half right, half wrong. You know, I think that there's there's a few names on there, but what, what do you got? Yeah, yeah. So I did a uh, ranking the top five players on the Cowboys roster heading into the season. I came out with that on uh, July 10th. It was right after we made uh, some moves to acquire some veterans. My initial list was five, Stephon Gilmore, four, C.D. Lamb, three, Trayvon Diggs, uh, two, Zach Martin, and one, Micah Parsons. Um, I think, I mean, I think without injuries, uh, I think Trayvon Diggs is probably still in that top three because he was looking incredible. He was really... I think really solidifying himself in that discussion for the number one corner in the NFL. And I think he was just going to keep building off of that. The only one on here that really uh, I think has aged poorly is uh, Stefan Gilmore. But not that bad though. Not that bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, overall I would still go, if you're just saying like the best players, I would still probably keep that top, that um, top four, but obviously without Trayvon Diggs, if you're going to like kind of revise that list, just to give you my quick top five for the, um, for the season at this point, it would be still Michael one, still like Martin two. Cause they're just, I mean, I mean, even when they don't have their amazing, you know, off the, off, off the wall, like just incredible performances, they're still bringing it every single week. Um, three, three might be uh might be that guy, Tyler Smith. I think that that um that's an underrated one. Tyler Smith has looked dominant. He's looked really, really good at the left guard position. Um, I think that Deron Bland is probably in that top five uh, category just just based off play up to this point. And honestly, I'm I would still probably keep CeeDee Lamb in there. You know, I mean, like he showed that he has all that talent in uh, that Chargers game. He just needed to get the ball right. You know, like he wanted to uh, have his number called, and um, and um, he's lived up to it. So um, overall, I think that really the only one that hasn't aged well on that uh, is the Stephon Gilmore one. So that's um, so um, overall, I think I did pretty well on that. And um, I still like Stephon Gilmore a lot. I think he's a really good cornerback too. He's just I think his age is kind of catching up with him a little bit. He gets burnt pretty, pretty um, consistently on those crossing routes. Um, is what I've noticed, and I think that that's kind of a speed thing, and that's kind of a agility thing, and that you know. But I still think he's a great cornerback too, and he comes up in big situations, which we saw in that Chargers game. So, so you know, like um, no flack to him, but just he hasn't had that top five impact that I thought he would. Halman, what's your next headline? Uh, my next headline um, also, ironically, does come from that same article about the <laughs> offensive predictions. Um, and it also has not aged well, is I, I predicted that Tony Pollard would be top five in rushing yards. Um, and, and really a lot of the, the basis for that was last year he was 15th among running backs in rushing yards. Um, and, and that was with him splitting carries with Ezekiel Elliott. Of course, Ezekiel Elliott's gone. He's, he's the number one running back. So I figured it makes a lot of sense for him to definitely jump up in terms of the rushing yards 
and it, it was feasible for him to get into that top five route. Um, so far, it has not been going well. Uh, B1 kind of mentioned it, averaging, you know, uh, uh, 3.9 yards per carry. That's actually – that's what the team's averaging. That's exactly what Pollard's averaging. Ironically, right now he's 15th in rushing yards. Granted, that's some of that is a little bit uh, impacted by him only playing, you know, one fewer game with the bye week. But um, the run game has been a mess. And, you know, Tony Pollard hasn't been playing as well as he normally has. The offensive line has just been – you know, they've been getting pushed around a little bit by a few different defenses in their run blocking schemes, um, which is really surprising because there's a lot of really good run blockers on this offensive line, but uh, they're, they're just not really working within the new scheme. Obviously, there's a new offensive line coach in Mike Solari. I wonder if some of it is just they're still getting familiar with some of the run schemes that he's coming up with that Brian Schottenheimer has introduced that Mike McCarthy's calling. Um so that, like, going into this bye week, I was looking at that run game overall and saying, like, that's their number one issue they need to fix in the, in the bye because, you know, all the other things, you know, some of the, you know, the red zone, some of the other things on the offense, issues on the defense, like, those also need to be addressed. But if the run game keeps being as this much of a detriment to their offense, it's not going to matter how well Dak Prescott plays. It's not going to matter, you know, whether Mike McCarthy gets, you know, Kevontae Turpin more involved or whatever. Like, it, it, you know, you, you want to be thro- generally throwing the ball more than running the ball, but you still have to be able to do both at, uh, at a decent level. And right now they're not running the ball well at all. A lot of that is, is on Tony Pollard with him being that top running back. So there is potential for him to climb that, that uh, rushing leaders list. Um, there's a couple guys ahead of him who are either they're injured or, you know, with, with Indianapolis, Zach Moss is like, I think second in rushing yards and Jonathan Taylor's getting more in the mix there. So maybe he doesn't see as many snaps. Um, there's potential for Pollard to still hit that and make it into the top five, but right now it's not looking good. And that's something that they got to get cleaned up. And to your defense, one of the things that Mike McCarthy even talked about uh, with giving sort of the 100% workload for Tony Pollard is that he wants to make sure he keeps him fresh later in the year because that's when his speed really matters and that change of pace back that he was with Elliott in the backfield for his tenure as a Cowboy was that sort of lightning and thunder mix. And we're not seeing that right now because unfortunately they don't really have the thunder. So I think that if they either can find somebody that is that, like Brandon and Chris mentioned, maybe trade for somebody like a Derrick Henry, maybe you give more touches to Rico. I think you could see him kind of get back to form because then it keeps defenses a little more honest, not just expecting somebody like Tony Pollard to get 100% of the carries. So I think it could be something that, you know, back half of the year, we saw CD Lamb last year really explode um, to be one of the better receivers in the NFL. So I think your take, your take could still be, you know, pretty good, but it all depends. Again, the running back position is very fluid in the NFL. I'll, I'll send mine out as the second one, and then we'll wrap up with B1s because I think we got to throw a few people under the bus here before we, we get out of here. Um, this one, not necessarily, it's like the bus is like really going to get close to Danny Phantom on this one. We're not ne- necessarily throwing them no. under the bus. Uh, but he mentioned, he said, Brandon Cooks could do something that nobody has ever um, done uh, with the Cowboys. And that was kind of being another 1,000-yard receiver with the fifth team. Haven't really seen that in NFL history. Uh, unfortunately, through six games, he has 13 receptions for 109 yards. So just like the 5,000-yard uh, prediction for Dak, this is really spoiled uh, poorly. Um, this is really a mix of that, like, chunky milk. It's not really, like, anything. It, it's just gross and disgusting. Uh, but for Cooks, he'd have to average 81 yards per game minimum to get to the 1,000-yard mark uh, with 11 games yet uh, left on the year. So, Chris, is that is that possible, 81 yards from Cooks each and every game between now and, and the final game of the season? 
unless we we suddenly find the new offensive coordinator, that is not possible <laughs> at all. Uh, especially with how many more targets that you know CD's probably going to keep getting and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that Brandon Cooks can definitely have his impact and he can be there in, in clutch moments like he was against the Chargers, but he's not pinned a thousand yards this year. No way. So we're going to end with this final one and uh, B1. I'll throw, uh, we haven't talked about which one because I know you had a few, but I think you could tell where I'm going with this uh, because I think for namesake, uh, it's something that we have to really highlight here. Uh, and once again, you know, we'll we'll leave the person who who wrote the article uh, for last to defend themselves. We'll throw it to Hellman uh, to get his take on it. But what what's the final headline that you have? All right, so it is uh, for our boy Chris Holling, and uh, oh, him and nice. I have had many of conversations about this particular position all off-season roundtables. So this is the article that says, it is time to look for help at kicker. And I just want to read one particular area of this uh, article. So there's actually two spots. So uh, the, the kicker situation in Dallas is particularly frustrating because of veteran kickers who are still free agents. Veterans Mason Crosby, Ryan Suckup, and Robbie Gold are all available on the market. Now, I want to skip a little bit further. The last line, this is the best part. The, la- the last line of this article says, let's see here. It is essential the Cowboys decide to bring in one of these veterans for a workout soon before they are taken off the market from a team who is also experiencing kicker woes in camp. Wow, man, that was, oof. I know you were banging the drum for Robbie Gold. I remember that like very well. And, uh, you know, B2 you know, you know, B and myself, you know, as a fellow Brandon, I was obviously pounding the table for Brandon to make it, not only for his namesake, but just, you know, I, I saw his work in the USFL. Yes, you know, I did watch USFL football. You know, I, I do watch a lot of football that's not NFL. So I, I did watch him play well. He was one of the best kickers in the USFL for, for whatever that is worth. And my thing is he bounced back. And, it, and, I'll, and I'll give Chris, and, and, I, and not, I know you're going to have your rebuttal here in just a second. To your point, it wasn't the best uh, stretch there when you wrote the article. You know, there's some struggles. But as we've seen from Brett Maher last year and Brett Maher this year, actually this past week, you know, kickers can have some of the, these things called the yips where they're just they're just hitting them all over the place. It's just like a bad golf swing. You just got to work through it. And Brandon Aubrey, what he did after that is he turned in some really good camp, you know, and some game. And his reps just got better and better. And just to break it down from a statistical perspective, because I love stats here, 16 field goal attempts. Uh, how many did he make? Oh, he's made 16, so he hasn't missed a kick all year. Uh, 100% uh, just for all you math, uh, math wizards out there. A long of 55 yards. And he's 12 of 13 uh, on extra points, so that's a 92.3%. Now, to be fair, and we've talked about this, Alvin and I, we've all talked about this, that first kick that he had against the Giants, the conditions, it was his first kick. The operation was a little weird. Ever since that kick, he has made – make it sure I do my math right here really quick. He has made 28 straight kicks, and that is pretty darn impressive for a guy – who didn't play football his entire life up until, you know, last few years ago. And he, as his, I think it's his wife now or his fiance, I may be getting that, that significant other part portion incorrectly, but like he was, they were watching games and there, and his, his significant other goes, you could be doing that because kickers were so bad when they were watching the games. It's crazy that a guy could be, you know, preferably on the couch, never, never played football and he played soccer 
transitions to uh, where he is now, which is the best kicker in the league right now. And yes, there's Justin Tucker. I get that. But Brandon Aubrey, from a statistical perspective, is the best kicker in the league right now. So right now. before we get to Chris's rebuttal, because again, you need a little time to, to fester on this a little bit. Uh, Hellman, you know, we saw, we didn't mention this when we talked about the Patriots game. Um, they were going to go for 66 yarder uh, before halftime. And unfortunately due to Chuma Adoga getting the, the penalty, the pre-snap penalty, they weren't able to make it, which, you know, either it, it would have helped his, his, his ledger or not ledger, um, his lore around him, his rookie season and, and made him, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, certified goat, you know, kicking a 66 yarder as a rookie, but then unfortunately it didn't happen, but then it kept his streak intact. So Whatever way you want to go with this, were you upset he didn't attempt it? Like, did you need to see that from him, or you're okay and you're just confident and now happy with where he's at in his development? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm happy with Brandon Aubrey the way that he's played uh, thus far, and it would have really been fun to see if he could hit that 66 yarder. But at the same time, that's one of those kicks where, like, if he does miss it, you're gonna say, oh well, you know, you gave it a shot. Nobody really, nobody's gonna kill you for missing a 66 yarder. Um, you know, he, he has been so much better than, than anyone really expected. And, you know, not, not to like get ahead of myself with, with Chris, I know he's got to go ahead and defend himself, but like, we didn't see a whole lot of him in, in preseason. He didn't get a whole lot of opportunities in the preseason games. He had his struggles in training camp, like the one that mentioned. Um, so like, it was hard to really have faith in him, but yeah, to his credit, like he has come in here and aside from that very first kick, like everything he has done has just once again reaffirmed that like, he is the guy, he's someone that is very reliable, that they can count on. Um, I'd prefer if they maybe didn't count on him as much. I'd like to see a few more attempts on fourth down uh, where, where it makes sense. But it's nice to have a kicker that you can rely on. And, and it really, I hope he gets another chance for one of those like 65 plus yard field goals, just, just to see if he can do it. To tee you up, Chris, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say, if you were to be wrong, completely wrong on any take for the preseason headlines, this is the one that you're happiest about, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I'm very glad that I was wrong about this. Um, I'll eat my crow. Uh, Brandon Aubrey has uh, looked like the best kicker in the league right now. Um, however, my one rebuttal is, yes, we he, uh, he wasn't playing the best when I wrote that article. And also... If we remember correctly, uh, there was a time period last season when Brett Maher was also the most consistent player on the Cowboys. So he hasn't had the yips yet, and I hope he never does. I hope that he puts together a Dan Bailey-esque Cowboys tenure. Like, I would love that. I I miss the days when I could watch a Cowboys kick, and I never questioned it. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reason I was pushing for Robbie Gold really wasn't because of the uh, – it really wasn't because of the regular season at all. It was really about the playoffs because we saw Brett Maher totally wasn't prepared for the playoff pressure, and Robbie Gold has never missed a playoff kick. So that's why I was really pounding the table for Robbie Gold because the last thing that we want is to have this stacked team and uh, see see it just all go down the drain because our kicker can't make a kick. So, so yeah, so I will eat the crow on uh, Brandon Aubrey for sure, but my only rebuttal is I need to see it throughout the playoffs. I need to see him keep that consistency up. I need to see him not get those yips in the really, really crucial moment of the season. So, so far I'll give him all the flowers in the world. He's been incredible. Um, he, he, he has truly been very consistent and he is, he has outdone everything I expected of him. So, 
So I'm very glad to be wrong on that. And maybe the analytics will tell the Cowboys that, listen, Robbie Gold is still out there. Maybe they take the really, really strange approach and they bring him in as sort of a closer in the postseason and they bring him on uh, and say, listen, uh, Brandon Aubrey, you're going to do kickoffs, but Robbie Gold's going to kick field goals. Uh, not saying that will ever happen, but you never know. Maybe there's a forward thinking yeah. uh, for the Cowboys analytics uh, department on that standpoint. So before we get out of here, I did want to get your guys' opinion on what will happen, as we always do, to preview a game. Of course, we didn't really dive into the Rams matchup but of course you can check out all the podcasts this week on blogging the boys network um, I'm sure everybody will get you ready for the matchup this weekend but Hellman I'll start with you what do you want to see from the Cowboys they're taking on a three and four Rams team coming in after a loss uh, I know they have a very high powered offense I know Stafford looks a little injured right now but still they have Cooper Cup they have Puka Nakua one of the best wide receiver duos uh, in the NFL, um, there's trying to figure out the running back situation, but that's really suspect right now. But what do you want to see from the Cowboys before they take on the Philadelphia Eagles in two weeks? I think really, I just want to see them come out and play focused. This Rams team has shown all year that they're they're feisty. I mean, they are. I mean, they're paying the price for how all, all in they went on that Super Bowl year. I don't think they care because they got the ring, but they're they're really, really struggling right now with the makeup of the roster. But the fact that they're three and four right now. And, you know, Stafford playing through some injuries and, and he's playing as well as he is and Puka Nakua has burst onto the scene. Like, that's a credit to Sean McVay and this coaching staff. They're going to have their guys ready to play this game. They're going to be playing to win on the margins. And that's that's where the Cowboys really, they need to be on their toes. They can't overlook this team. Um, so kind of similar to what we were saying going into that Cardinals game. Uh, um, like, they need to come out and they need to play uh, as if this is going to be a really close game because it very well could be. B1, I know one of the better corners right now, you mentioned statistics earlier, in the NFL is Deron Bland. I mean, when you look at the numbers, he's been one of the best um, when targeted at making sure that nothing gets past him. I know this will probably be the best test for him so far in his young career, going against somebody like a Cooper Cup, a Puka Nakua, especially with the the duo that they have moving all over the place. And that, I look again, it's like, this game is going to be a test for them before they have to get ready for the Eagles, who A.J. Brown right now is five straight games with over 125 yards the first time that's happened since Calvin Johnson did it in 50 years for the NFL's, uh, NFL's history. So to me, is that an area where you really want to see the Cowboys step up maybe in the secondary? Yeah, I, absolutely. Because you guys mentioned it, uh, the, the run game in, in, in LA is not great. So if the Cowboys do, if they give up a monster game in the run game, given, given the, let's see, they got uh let's see Royce Freeman and uh, they brought back uh, Daryl Henderson and then I believe I believe they uh, I mean they I think Zach Evans is on there as well. Yeah. So like yeah that 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 running back room does not scare me one bit. So for me like they you know the conversation better be all right it was quiet on the run game but if anything quiet anything that's not quiet and when it comes to the running attack I'm gonna not be happy about because that running back room is not good. You mentioned the the receivers. Obviously, Cooper Cup. He's you know he's one of the best receivers in the game. You know he's just getting he's just getting his sea legs back because he was out for you know first you know f- uh, first four games of the season, which which hurt me because I actually have him in fantasy football. So that was a that was a tough blow because I am a huge Cooper Cup guy. I think he's I think he's one of the you know he's just one of the premier players in the game. And then uh, Puka Nakua, like that dude came out of nowhere and uh, he's he, he's lit it up. I mean he's here, here's the here's the astounding number. 82 targets this year. That's insane. And I mean, we're not even halfway through the season and he caught 58 of them for 752 yards. Like he's, you know, barring anything crazy, this dude's going to be, he's going to be putting up a thousand yards and some very easily. So for me, what I want to see from the secondary and obviously, you know, matchups are what they are. 
I want to see Bland just shut down Nakua, and I want to see Gilmore match up with another veteran cup and just let those boys do their thing. You mentioned you mentioned Stafford. He's banged up. Stafford's a gamer. Stafford's, you know, Stafford is one of those dudes who, who you know, let's be honest, there's a, there's that story out there, if, you know, for, you know, we talked baseball a little while ago. Yeah, he played on the same baseball team as uh, is the is the what's his face there Kershaw Clayton Kershaw from uh, from the Dodgers. And if if the roles were reversed, so Kershaw, as you know, is one of the best left-handers. And obviously, not in the postseason, but in the in the regular season, he's a, he's a very powerful left-hander. If those roles were reversed, you might be seeing Clayton Kershaw is the, is the is a quarterback in the NFL, not uh, not Stafford, because having a good lefty is better in baseball than it is in football. That's why Tua uh, Tua Tagovailoa is the only left-handed starting quarterback in the league. But back to the receiving side of it, he's a gamer. You know, his per- his completion percentage is sub sixty. But to me, it, it's it's a it, it's it's a it's part of it's this way the offense is like they did the whole f the picks thing. They're they're kind of in that you know in that rebuild mode a little bit. Um, you know and, and you know what his interception you know touchdown interception seven to six is not great, but he's a gamer like he's he he's he always he always is going to put his team you know in a position to have a chance to win. So uh, I, I am nervous about that uh, Nakua and then Cup. But another aspect of it is you got to watch out for Tyler Higby. Like Higby's a, he's another weapon. I know he had, I think there was one, uh, one play in the Steelers game that he probably wishes he had back, but you know, Higby's a, a weapon as well. I mean, Higby, Higby is, you know, one of the more underrated tight ends. I know you get the, the whole thing with Travis Kelsey and, 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 you know, all the talk about him and him in a particular uh, uh, pop star these days, but you know, he, he doesn't get enough flowers. You know, Higby's a good player. He's, you know, he's got 21 receptions, 241 yards this year. Like he, you know, he's a very good tight end. So I'm curious to see how the linebackers are going to cover him and the safeties, see how they, how they do with him. Because I could see, I could see the Cowboys, you know, I'm hoping they lock down Nakua to a decent degree and they hold the cup in check. But I do think that the area that I, I feel like they might be worried about is Tyler Higby, and I, you know, I'm wondering what's going to happen there. And uh, I could see Stafford throwing a, a few more balls than normal to Tyler Higby uh, this coming weekend. Chris, do you have to see anything from Dak Prescott in this game where it's like 300 yards, three touchdowns, or again, you just want another conservative effort like what happened in, uh, in L.A. against the other L.A. team, the Chargers, and that'll make you feel a little bit more confident? Um, I just want to win, honestly. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, I like yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, honestly, like, I just want that to take care of the ball and not give uh, that offense um, in um, Los Angeles more opportunities than they need. I actually – I think that Dak will play well, and I think that he'll um, continue riding that momentum. I'm expecting, actually, a 300-yard passing game. I think that he'll really, really keep it going at home. However, I uh, do have to say my, my one take that I think is going to uh, – coming to fruition i think that micah parsons is gonna have the best game of his season i think he's really gonna really get back into that defensive player of the year conversation because i think he's motivated by what he saw miles garrett do against those colts and you know he you know he has his own podcast with the edge and he's very out there about you know of, of, of about keeping track and um like 
and I'm talking about what's going on around the league, but also it just makes sense from a matchup perspective as well because the Rams are going to pass the ball a lot because they really don't have a running back, and um, but they don't have a consistent run game, and that's going to lead to more opportunities for Micah to get pressure on Matt Stafford. And so I think that Micah, I'm expecting a two-plus sack performance from Micah Parsons, his first one of this season, something that we have seen him do a lot uh, throughout his first two years, and we haven't seen that two-sack game yet, but I think that he uh, – he um, adds another one to the resume on a uh, Sunday. If he has his best statistical game of the season against uh, the um, LA Rams, I mean, I could only imagine what he's going to have against the Giants again, and then also the, the Commanders, who are giving up historically bad numbers, uh, you know, against Sam Howell. So um, I think if if he has a great game, I mean, expect like a five sack game, I guess, in that sense. If you were to expedite <laughs> expedite the numbers, crunch the numbers, do the math on that. To me, I just say. Don't play with your food. That that's the way I, I want to see this game. You know, go in, handle your business at home. The Cowboys have had a great record in the past few seasons at home. Just don't play down to your opponent. Like this is a team that the Cowboys should beat. And unfortunately, like if it happens where they do lose, similar to against Arizona, you're going to hear a lot of headlines of oh the Cowboys can't win against you know the the easy teams. And then what is this going to mean down the stretch when they have to play the Seahawks, the Eagles twice, and then the Lions again at the end of the year? And no, not to mention the Bills and the Dolphins. So I just just don't play with your food, like Chris said. Just win. That's all we want. Yeah. Just just win. <laughs> it, it, we're only asking for fifty percent, just like it is in the red zone. So uh, for David Hellman. Brandon Clements, that is Chris Halling. I am Brandon Laurie. You can follow us on X, on Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the latest edition of the Writer's Block Podcast. And always remember, as we like to end the show, go Cowboys. 